is going on, everybody? Welcome into the highlight, a super serious, super serious, only the most serious business show for only the most serious business people. And obviously, I've got my most serious business partner here, Austin Lynch. Austin, how you doing, man? <laughs> man, I'm feeling good. It's Friday. It's casual Friday. I got my t-shirt on and we got our good friend Zach in the studio today. So it's uh, it's hard to be having a bad day with this going on. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, we are sharing the highlight again today with uh, a longtime friend of ours, uh, Zach Estes. Uh, Zach, how you doing, man? Lovely. Having a wonderful Friday. It's a cold morning here in Tennessee. I was about to say, they it got is. you kicked into the uh, the office garage there, so it looks like we got to get you some <laughs> insulation, maybe one of those outdoor heaters or something like that. Oh, so yeah, be, it's uh, cranked. Yeah, they, we got to get you another one or something, man. So I, I obviously know who you are. We've been friends a long time. Why don't you take a minute and just sort of give everybody the high-level overview of Zach Estes, and then we'll jump into it. Yeah, sure. So my name's Zach Estes. I'm the COO of a company called Path for Growth. Um, really our whole shtick is that we have, um, one-on-one coaching for business leaders, business owners, um, who are interested in practicing healthy growth because, um, you can be growing, but then that doesn't mean you're alive. Uh, growth for the sake of growth is dead. Mm -hmm. And we just don't believe in that. Um, we want mm -hmm. people to experience freedom. We want people to experience growth without the growth of their stress. Um, so that's what we're doing over here at path for growth. That's awesome. That's what awesome. is the, when you talk about healthy growth like can you unpack that for just a minute because i know and we've talked about this a lot but when i first started a business my 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 ego told me i should open a thousand of these barbecue restaurants <laughs> and i never even stopped for a second to consider the cost of that we just had another guest on and we we got into this sort of like what do you actually want out of a business so i, I love path for gross model around healthy growth but i'd love for you to just sort of unpack that for a second if you could yeah so you you just said something that that is almost a basis or like fundamental question is what do you want? And I think a lot of people don't address that question. And so they'll start with just saying, I want more money. Um, or maybe I want more time. Maybe they even go down the road of, I want more time and then they get more money, but then they lose all their time. It's so funny how that works. Um, but healthy growth is really just defining one. Do you want to be healthy? A lot of people, uh, either will avoid that question um, or just won't answer that question because they want growth. Growth is really uh, fun and energetic and um, provides dopamine and we're super pro growth, but we're also just not at the cost, like you said, at the cost of everything else, at the cost of your marriage, at the cost of your relationships, um, at the cost of your um, time and energy. Um, and so just trying to build the boundaries and guardrails for your business that you likely own, um, or at least lead and have influence in, um, so that you can grow and build a good environment for yourself and your team and your customers, um, uh, but also for your family. Yeah. So I've got a question about that. So, you know, I think it's really easy to say, you know, like for myself, obviously what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I, I know that all three of us are kind of in an interesting bucket. We all have a kid around one uh, year old. And so, you know, like we all have families, we all have, you know, marriages to take care of, but we also all have businesses. So mm -hmm. what do you say to kind of the entrepreneur that has the healthy growth mindset? You know, he really values that. But on the other side, you know, they have really kind of wild ambitions and, and want to get to a thousand stores. What do you, what do you say to that person? Yeah. I mean, you have to choose and you can't do everything. 
And so that's, that's the, like, if you're going to be realistic, it's better to be specific about what you are going to focus on and, and be specific about what you are not going to focus on. Um, and so that way you can just be diligent about pursuing a direction rather than going left, going right, going left or going right, just go straight and go right at what you want to accomplish. Uh, but labeling exactly what it is that you do want and seeing, are there anything, is, is there anything that's conflicting? You can't hmm. spend 24 hours a day with your family and 24 hours a day at work. So it's just like, right. okay, well, so we have to choose something um, and, and making those decisions. And it's, it, it's hard decisions, but once you label them, write them down and, and commit it to a standard and make a commitment, not of perfection, but of, of commitment. There's a, there's a standard of commitment that you're saying, here's what I'm coming to every single day. Um, I don't have to hit a thousand for a thousand, but I'm going to come back to this every single morning and say, here's, here's what winning looks like for today. So yeah. you're making decisions as an entrepreneur, you have to make critical decisions to kind of, kind of, like you said, <laughs> aim yourself in one path. What are some of those decisions? Is it, you know, I'm going to start working at seven and stop at four, no matter what happens every day. Are those the type of decisions that you're kind of working with your clients at path for growth on, or is it more broad than that and not so kind of hard and fast? Yeah, I, it sticks. It goes back to the question, what do you want? So in Path for Growth, we teach our clients to use a tool that we call success statements. And really, it's just the answer to the question, what do you want? What does winning look like? Um, and get really specific with that. Get as specific as is helpful. What we find is someone will define something and then over time, they'll say, okay, well, that's true. That, that statement that I have as a standard for myself of what winning looks like is true. But I feel somewhere deep down that I'm not where I want to be. And so it's time to update the standard. It's time to improve the standards and get more specific about what you do want. Um, that's what we often find. So uh, the, the biggest question is answering what do you want? We do that for um, do that for a lot of things. <laughs> you can do that for your role, um, for where you want to take your business. So as a CEO, as a COO, as a leader, what are the things that uh, the results that you want out of that role. What do you want that person to be responsible for? Um, you can answer that with uh, where are you going? Like, what do you want to be true in three years? And then you can kind of give yourself a direction of saying, okay, is this not true? Is this inconsistently true? Is this consistently true? Um, that's kind of our red, yellow, green method that we use in Path for Growth. But then you can also do it for processes. You can do it for meetings. You can do it for um, anything really in life. You can do it for what do I want my relationship with my wife to look like. Um, what does that rhythm look like for us and our family? Um, maybe it's, we go to church every week. Is that, tr is that consistently true? Is that inconsistently true? Or is that not true? And you like, if that's something that you want, because you want a community of like-minded folks, um, then that's something that you're going to prioritize and say, okay, we have the standard. Let's evaluate our execution of the standard um, and gauge whether or not we need to make adjustments. Yeah. It's interesting. The, uh, the idea around growing is often, um, it, it, it's often comes from a good place. Like the person wants to impact the world in a positive way. They want to, you would have started your business if you didn't think you could make a positive impact on the economy, on your local environment, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, but what ends up happening and where you and I get into the deepest conversations that I think a lot of times is around the person that wants to grow, 
but outgrows their operations. And so like we all have the same sort of small business life cycle where when you're a startup, there are no systems, probably not really. And then all of a sudden you're just like growing like crazy. And so I'd love to know what you think about the small business owner and what they need to think about when it comes to systems and operations and maybe even what they get wrong on their way to trying to grow healthily. That's a huge question. That's a big open-ended question. I love it. Um, here's something that I've found people often get confused by. Whenever someone says operations, everyone has their own definition as to what that what that is and what that means. And um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up a little bit and say, let's define what operations is. Operations, from from my understanding and what I teach and what I uh, practice, is that operations is the creation and delivery of value. That's it. It's the creation and delivery of value. So how does your business create value? One. And two, how does your business deliver that said created value? Um, the reason that that's important is because then you can, once you have a standard for what is your value, how do you create it and how do you deliver it? Um, and everyone understands that that's true. It's really easy. Let's go to uh, uh, Chandler's barbecue pass. It's really easy to see that a barbecue sandwich is the value that we're creating and we're delivering it. It's harder when it's a service-based business. It's harder to get your mind around like, okay, what is what is someone wanting in this moment? Why, what are they paying us for? Um, but you want to be clear about what that is. You don't want to be guessing um, because if you're not clear about what you're selling, if you're not clear about what value you're creating, your customer has no clue. Um, that's That's a guarantee and it may be that you're not actually giving them anything that they value. They may be coming for one thing and you're giving them nine other things that you're wasting your time on because it's not helpful mm -hmm. for them. So um, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. There's a, there's a little bit of a mindset with my manufacturing ba background of a standard product line, meaning you offer this product, it helps someone with some explained value and it solved a, a very specific problem and you can crank those out. Or you're a little bit of a custom job shop where this customer that you're talking to, you're wanting to solve that their specific problem. And so you need to deliver specific value. Mm -hmm. um, and that requires its own standard that all, all of those different types of products are their own standard. So it's um, a unique uh, price point as well, because you're talking about when you're looking at something that's highly operationalized, go back to the restaurant background, uh, yeah. McDonald's has a very specific high standard and it's a very specific uh, operating manual in those restaurants that produces the same product pretty much in every McDonald's, no matter where you're at. And it costs you four or five bucks. I mean, inflation's really hit the, the large fry price, which is a whole nother topic for another day. It's, it's a gripe that the, the large drinks have gone way up. So it's, it's, it's not an easy stop anymore, but, but even McDonald's with their operational efficiency can outrun the, uh, inflation anyways but the so you have that lens and it's an it's an inexpensive meal to go out and eat which is which is crazy when you think about it but then you have the um you know a place here that you love i know is bourbon steak in nashville and it's a very high-end experience the menu is customized it, it moves around a lot it it requires a higher level of individual artist inside the moment to actually make the thing happen and so i think there is some nuance to knowing what kind of business you're actually in and then pricing yourself accordingly. And then that price and profit gives you the overhead to be able to go and actually build out the system that you need. Because even if it is a, 
a more customized job, you still are going to have a some sort of system in there. I, I like the ratio example. So totally. for like high beam, we go our systems, all of our standard operating procedures. We basically tell people, hey, this is going to get you eighty percent of the way there, you know, and we expect you to follow it eighty percent of the way. Now, what we know is that you know we're dealing with social media management for people. That's going to change on a daily basis. So if the operating procedure says post every day, no matter what, and then you know, there's a giant political thing that happens, like just read the news there. It's all the time. And like, are you really going to be the one selling your, uh, your, your cheesecake or your protein supplements or whatever it is in the middle of a national crisis? Like, well, I remember when the Ukraine war popped off, we had this exact conversation where it was like, Hey, we know we've agreed to this as an operating measure for excellence as a company, but nuance is needed in our job. And Hey, Hey, there's a little bit of art that's applied here. So we're going to skip today. And, and so is it, is it more of like, it's not a blanket thing across the board, is it? Or is it that everybody should go for 80%? What do you think? Um, I think the more that you can document and specify what winning looks like and what the standard is in regards to everything, the product, the process, everything, I think the better. Uh, you'll never actually accomplish completion there, though. So yeah. that's the other thing. Um, the one thing I'll say, though, is that if you're not intentionally making an exception, you'll always make exceptions. Mm. And so the, the point there is that? like operate, operate off of a standard. Mm. And when an exception is necessary, intentionally make that decision. If you don't operate off of a standard, you'll always make exceptions. And so you'll always do the work differently. There'll always be some different action that you need to take. And, um, and the result will always be variable. That's a really interesting concept. Yeah, are you, are you saying that you should have a system for making exceptions as well? Is yeah, that, is that what I'm hearing? For sure. Yeah, to to at least give you a little bit of a road to run on, um, give yourself a little bit of a guardrail and boundary for here's how we deviate from the standard. Yeah, well, that's interesting because you know we work with businesses all the time and we try to help them identify you know their their ICP their ideal customer profile, and we do that for ourselves too and. You know, we have a pretty cut and clear, here's our ICP, here's what they look like demographically, psychographically, this is what they look like in terms of, you know, an annual revenue, these are the things that they've been doing, these are the things they haven't been doing. But at the end of that, we always say there is exceptions. And so I find it fascinating that you're kind of saying we actually need a systematized way to go about looking at those exceptions and deciding, is this an exception that's worth making? Or is it an exception that's going to kind of further spin the wheel of things, you know, kind of getting out of control? So, yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting kind of unique point. But can I follow up, Chandler? On that? I think we need to get back to the whiteboard. Yeah, please do. <laughs> please do. A, I was having a conversation with a customer recently, and um, it's about a, a twenty to thirty person size business. They're in a high end interior design company out of New York City. Um, and we were talking through this idea of like ideal customer, like how do we have the standard process for every single project as a custom design that's new um, for that customer? How do we have kind of the standard process? And one of the things that was really, really important for them to understand was they can standardize the variables relative to all of their customers that they know, but every single one of their customers is going to have a different need. And so there's a little bit of... Um, of a, uh, it's, it's the reason why it's a more expensive product is because they're making this investment of understanding who this specific customer is, um, and, and adjusting 
so to speak, the standard before they go and execute for that need for that customer specifically, because they are so high end and um, high touch points, things like that. Yeah, but they still have a system there. That's right. That's right. It's not nothing. That's not nothing. They're not starting yeah. from scratch every time. I, I find in my experience talking to small business owners that especially lean heavier on the like artistic side of entrepreneurship and they're not as worried about building big, massive, you know, bureaucratic infrastructures with nothing but systems. And they will definitely stay in that lane of like, I'm a special snowflake. I, my business mm -hmm. is unique. I don't actually have to have systems. I don't care what you say. I, every job is unique. I have to be able to apply the thing. But I, I do think there is a, Hey, it's even just like, you know, we call leads back within 24 hours. Like that's the start of a system. That's a process. And 100%. that's like, that's the same for everybody, no matter how big or small the job ends up being. And so there's even like, Hey, we get bids back within 30 days most of the time. And we get like, there's still a way to do it. Um, but I, I think, I don't know. I think people just come down to like, do you want to do it or not? And it's, it's sort of a muscle that newer entrepreneurs, especially, or maybe undisciplined long-term entrepreneurs that just have this crazy business with high margin, they don't have to learn the lesson yet. And so they don't. And I, I just, my, I would just implore them to please <laughs> get yeah. everything written down because it's the only yeah. way you can get some sanity. Yeah, that's right. One of the, one of the things that we teach at Path for Growth is kind of the four steps to operationalization. Um, big word there, operationalization. But the four steps are standardize, document, evaluate, improve. Standardize, document, evaluate, improve. The thing is that everyone has a standard in their mind. So your example of like, hey, we get back to leads within 24 hours. That's a standard. The problem is, is that communicated to the team? Like, how is that communicated to the team? And then all of those standards that you have in your head, um, do like, how is your team going to know about that if it's not documented somewhere? And so to your point, the, the best, this will get you 80% of the way there. And that final 20% will get you, um, what I think is like excellence, but the 80% is just document what you want to be true. Just document what you want the result to be, and then evaluate the execution associated with that. Did we accomplish that and produce the result that we wanted? If not, maybe we need to get more specific about how we accomplish that result. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget that uh, when we when we first started the barbecue restaurant, my mom was the art side of the thing. And we, we just had a really great partnership because we're family, which has its own unique challenges. But I was really more of the business and, and, and strategy and all that kind of side. And she was the artist, right? She loved to cook. She was she was really the chef that was driving everything. But we had a ton of discussions in the first like six months about as we, especially as we brought people in to help just getting her to write recipes down because she is a cook with touch and feel and love. And like, I can't tell you how many times I had the conversation with her and probably I was younger. And so I probably didn't do it as well as I should have. It was probably a lot of like, just write it down and versus like <laughs> leading and influencing. So I will say that, uh, but you know, she was always like a little pinch of this, a little pinch of that. And I'm like, your pinch is not replicatable. I cannot, I know these potatoes are different sizes and the weights are slightly off. And so, you know, but I'm like, we've got to get it down at least a little bit better. And, and she did to her credit eventually change. And, uh, and we were able to actually grow and scale, but, but it was painful. I mean, and so I, I feel every artist that's out there that's saying like their business is their art. It may not be an actual painting or, or sculpture or something like that. Like business to some people is their art. And I don't know, is it, is it that they feel like it's a, like it's less than now because it has a replicatable process behind it. 
I've seen people have that hesitation for sure. Um, I think people really feel that way when they think that whenever I document a process, all that they are doing is documenting the steps to accomplish the result. So instead, what I what I recommend people do is start with the result. Start with the result that you want. Um, and that way you always are coming back to like, wait, why are we doing this step? Why are we doing this action? Um, and then you don't lose what it is that we're actually trying to accomplish. Um, so the hierarchy there is really what you want to be true, the result that you want to uh, produce, and then secondarily follow the steps. One of the things that we do with our team members is we don't evaluate their execution of the process. We evaluate the result that they produced. And the reason for that is if they if they go in and say, okay, I'm following the process, but it's not going to lead to the result, then forget the process. Like accomplish the result mm-hmm. the best way you know how if the process isn't going to help you get there. Um, and then we need to go back and fix the process so that we can reproduce yeah, okay. the result yeah. as much as we can. Yeah, I got I got triggered there for a second. I was like, well, wait, you know, I, I do agree with the whole like, you know, the Japanese model of stop the production line to like fix yeah. the issue and, and all that. Like, and I would love for you to just because you know it better than me explain that. But but yeah, there is a part of me that's like, hey, you also have to have the organizational discipline to go back and take the annoying time to actually fix and update the process so that this back to your point of like exceptions always happen. That's not a system. That's a, that's a lack of discipline. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, and that's what we teach, you know, in, in the digital world of working on our laptops uh, for our team, at least we are able to do that simultaneously. You know, we can functionally stop what we're doing, update the standard and continue executing to accomplish the result that we want. But to your point, what, what's ha- what happens in manufacturing when the work is physical you actually have to literally stop the production line and you say, okay, we're producing a defect here. How do we prevent ourselves from continuing to produce more defects? And how do we fix this defect right here? So go ahead, fix the defect, change the standard so that we don't keep producing defects and then get the production back on pace. I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, take the opportunity to, to bring up another example that Chandler frequently uses from his barbecue days. And the, and Zach, the reason I, I cannot leave it out is because he spent, you know, a good five minutes ragging on his mom's cooking ability. But what he didn't tell you <laughs> is that for the longest time, he wouldn't let any of his employees, including his family members, talk to any of his customers because I think, if I'm understanding you correctly, Zach, the standard Chandler set was all up here. I don't think he communicated that. So Chandler, why don't you take a second and talk about yeah. how and when you actually took the moment to create the system. Tell us how that went. Tell us if there were flaws in the system. And then Zach, I would love you to grade Chandler's uh, ability to create <laughs> said system. I, I, I appreciate my business partner holding my feet to fire because I think that's what makes good partners, right? It's not just a yes men situation, but, but that's true. I mean, I... When we first started the barbecue restaurant, we were in a tent on the side of the road. So just setting the stage there for like how stupid I was for having this thought process. But I had gotten it in my head that if we had any bad customer experience, because I knew how powerful word of mouth and referrals were going to be for us, especially when we had no money and no budget, that I was basically going to be the one that held the line. I was going to talk to every customer because I knew I had to sell, even though my dad's been in recruiting for 20 years and my mom is awesome and lovely South Georgia woman who has hospitality coming out of her elbows, right? It's just, I just had it in my mind that if it wasn't me talking to the customer, that a mistake could happen. 
And, uh, and of course this lasted like maybe three, four months, like everybody else on the team was fine with it. Cause they just got to hang out in the back of the room and do whatever. And then I realized pretty quickly that like, Oh, this means I'm never going to get a day off. Uh, this means that no one else right. is ever going to actually get good at this because they don't actually get to practice. Um, and it also means that we're never actually going to scale beyond this 10 on the side of the road. And so I had to have my own little heart to heart with myself and say, <laughs> am I going to, uh, what, what, what do I actually want out of this business? Back to what Zach was saying earlier. I wish I knew Zach back then. I would have been able to save myself a lot of time, but it's like, what did I actually want out of the business? Was it, I wanted to be the best cashier in Lexington, Kentucky, and that mm-hmm. nobody would ever touch my ability to upsell a dessert. No, of course not. I wanted to build a really cool, big local barbecue restaurant. And uh, eventually uh, we got it out and I, I started hiring people and, and we let them run the thing and, and they talked to, to customers. And, but, we, but we did end up putting a system in place. And back to the, I think every position requires nuance and don't, you don't ever want to be legalistic about everything. And, and as much as Zach loves operations, I will tell you, you're really good about not being legalistic. And I think that's huge when it comes to putting procedures and stuff in place. Um, it's the thing Austin and I talk about all the time is like, we basically set up a guardrail for here's your rules. When you're talking to a customer, you don't get to bankrupt the business and don't bankrupt the brand. So like, these are your two black and whites. Like as long as you do things inside of there, I can, we can coach it up. We can talk about it. We can do all the things, but if you cross one of those lines, then it's going to be out of, out of pocket. And I did end up having a cashier that basically like cussed a, a customer out and that's bankrupting the brand. And I still was a, uh, I, I just wasn't as strong of a leader, you know, back then. And so I took her into the back and I wanted to coach her up. And instead of holding the fast line that I had been telling everybody about for months and I took her into the back and I like started to coach her up. And then she started it on me in front of all of the staff that was there. And so like now we have more cultural <laughs> issues coming out. And so, um, it was, it was almost dangerous and it was a, mm-hmm. you know, I was able to, luckily we were able to talk to the, to the, uh, customer that had come in and get them, get them righted. And, and there's all kinds of things you can do there, but you know, yeah, it's, it's, it was, uh, my worst nightmare came true and that was two years into it. And the, the company lived another four years and it wasn't that that capsized us. It was my other stupid decisions. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. It was growing for the sake of growth. That's what mm-hmm. took out the restaurant, Zach. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> What's my grade? Yeah, what do you oh, think? Oh goodness, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we still operate this business off of don't bankrupt the business, don't bankrupt the brand. So I hope that we're at least in like the B plus territory <laughs> there, because otherwise we might really be in trouble. The the thing I would say, <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to give a grade. The thing I would say there is, um, uh if it's a true standard and you're holding yourself to that commitment, the, the cool thing is that you'll likely accomplish it um, and you'll operate within it. It sounds like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of space between those two guardrails, which maybe that's exactly <laughs> what y'all want. And so that's clear. And, and that's awesome. Um, yeah. The, I think the question I would have is, are you producing variable results and do you yeah. want to produce variable results? Yeah. If, if those answers are yes and then no, then you change. Now, that's actually a really good call out because what we actually do as a company is that we have, you know, Austin and, and our, our ownership team have these black and white rules that, that everybody has to abide by no matter what position you have inside of the company. It is like hmm. if you do something that would in long term bankrupt the brand or bankrupt the company, like we can't help you. If you're stealing from us, like there's nothing I can do for you. Like there's no coaching that up. Um, and it's a values thing, really. These guardrails are really around values at the end of the day. Um, 
but what happens is, is within those guardrails, there's different teams and different functions. And so if you have a, um, like, let's say we have a social media manager on our team, like they have their own operations and systems and they also operate within those guardrails of the company as a whole, but that specific team has their own unique operating mm -hmm. procedure that, that helps us predict, uh, predictably get the same result over and over and over again. Uh, Austin, it reminds me of, um, you know, we just had a, a situation with, with you guys on the paid team where, um, one of our contractors had a different standard for what was it? Was it a, uh, was it a ROAS campaign or was it a, what was that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was an e-commerce campaign, uh, optimizing yeah to a target ROAS. Basically, uh, the breakdown there was, um, first of all, she did a great job correcting and, uh, I think, you know, performance didn't go to hell and any, everything like that. But basically, um, we were switching it from kind of one bidding algorithm to the next, and we were kind of taking it to the next level in terms of upgrading the ability of the campaign to perform long-term and optimize the way we want it to. However, uh, the, the, where the breakdown happened was we had discussed the idea of changing the campaign, but we did not get into the details of where do we want the campaign to kind of land in terms of a return to start? A lot of the times, uh, for those who are not so familiar with paid media, the way that these campaigns work is when you change the algorithm and you change the way that the campaign has been learning for a long time, it has to take time to relearn. And so if your campaign's doing a 10x return on ad spend and then you change the way it's going to return and you tell it to go for a 10x off the bat – it's not going to work. It's, it's going to, it's going to not deliver because it's basically going to say we have had no time to learn to get it from two X to 10. Uh, the problem, however, uh, is we did a great job explaining that to the contractor. Um, what we did not say is how low you should go in terms of, you know, the other direction, how much wiggle room should we give the campaign? And so, you know, this is a campaign that was typically doing over 10x on a daily basis. It, you know, I'd been running for a couple of years and uh, I, I think she turned it down to like two and a half X, you know, and so it, it crashed it pretty hard for a little while. But, you know, we we turned it back up and we got it kind of the support it needed. And we we basically sat with her and said, OK, what do the next 14 days need to look like in order for this to get, you know, kind of. We've come down to here. How do we get it back up to here in the next 14 days? What do we need to do daily, bi-weekly, you know, whatever. And uh, yeah, it's great. We're above 10x again, and the campaign is scaling above where it was in the past. So yeah, yeah. to your point, it was a total breakdown of communication on my end because I did not really explain or document, Zach, uh, kind of what our standard procedure is for making this kind of a campaign change. So you can believe uh, the next time that we that we kind of shop that out, we will have those specifics more nailed down. But yeah, as you add people, you're gonna the analogy I like to use sometimes is like imagine you're the leader of your company, you're sort of assembling this pipe structure on a wall that's trying to mm -hmm. connect the customer, which is like a big giant tank of water to a bucket at the very bottom, the profit bucket. And I think this may have actually come from you at one point too, Zach, with like a profit bucket and all the things. But but like once you start rolling water down through that pipe system, you've made your best guesses, but you're going to have holes that come up. And that's really what we're talking about today is like as an operational leader or whoever you have in your organization focusing on that, like you as a team have to be able to look at that and say, hey, we've got – my dad used to – actually, I've got another story. My dad 
is an Air Force guy, old school South Georgia guy. He used to give me hell for all the problems that we had in the restaurant on a daily basis. And it's a restaurant. We had innumerable problems. Like the bathroom was stopped up to like, there's a hole in a wall here and it sort of looks funky. And what the analogy I ended up telling, I was like, look, we're, we're on a boat. Like there's holes everywhere and the boat is sinking and we are trying to bail water, hmm. patch holes. And like, this is an underfunded boat that we launched the dock with. So like, there's going to be holes in it. That was the thing we signed up for. And I was like, but as leaders, we have to make a choice to say, I'm okay temporarily living with that hole or that particular set of holes so that we can triage the patient, triage the boat, whatever analogy we've mixed them all up now, but like basically prioritize and execute and go get the right things done in the right order. And, and, and I don't know, I, I, you'll never get it right. You, you never get it perfect. And so just stay flexible and always be adaptable. Right. Yeah. Dead on. We, <clears throat> one of the things that, uh, we do within path of growth for, for our own team members and that we teach folks to do is for your roles for team members. Um, each role has a success statement or has success statements, the outcomes that you want to produce, but they're also ranked. And so if the first one, if the first success statement is red, but everything else is green, that person is not prioritized and execute, mm. um, executed what, what's, what's most important, so to speak. And so yeah. like, yeah, you got to let things burn. Something's burning. Uh, it's better to do that intentionally and say, okay, I know that's burning over there. I'm going to let that burn because I got something more important to focus on. That's mm -hmm. great. If you don't know what's burning and you just have blinders on and, uh, and you're just focused on something, then you're not, you're not gauging its relevance or importance re like, uh, in respect to everything else that's happening. And then, so it's important mm -hmm. to know like, okay, I'm in the restaurant business. The toilet doesn't work, but that's okay because people don't come here for the toilet people might have a bad experience with the toilet and that sucks. But if they have a bad experience with the sandwich, like that's going to be way worse. Yeah. yeah everybody will forgive a toilet. Nobody forgives a bad sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's our new pitch. Every time we talk to a restaurant group to do their marketing, Austin, like, Hey, go. we're going to help you accentuate yeah. the sandwich and not the bad toilet situation. Cause no restaurant. Has oh nice my toilets. gosh. <laughs> Yeah, not many of them. All right, Zach. So we ask everybody this question. If if Austin and I were magic and wealthy beyond our means and decided to be generous one day, and we were going to write a check with no – we didn't want it back. This is really a bad example. But if we could 10x your budget for operational efficiency, what would you spend it on at Path for Growth to make you guys even more operationally efficient? Hmm. I don't know um... – I don't know that I would spend money. The hard part is that it takes time. And so what, what um, I actually had a conversation with a client this morning about uh, kind of this exact thing. And they were asking like, what tool can we use to get this to happen? And one of the things that they were saying was, you know, we we're going to, we're going to hire someone to own the documentation of the processes uh, so that everyone else doesn't have to do it because they're working. We just need someone to like own the documentation of the processes. And the, um, I, that scares the heck out of me because mm -hmm. then yeah. the person doing the work doesn't know the standard. They don't own the mm -hmm. standard. If you're going to do the work, you need to own the standard and be familiar enough with it that you can say like, okay, this needs to be improved. This needs to be updated. Um, or I'm going to intentionally make an exception to the standard. Um, not a, let me go ask mom and dad, um, you know, for permission, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. 
which that's what this role would would become if if that's what they invested into. So you know, if I had if I had an unlimited uh, budget, the the two main things that come to mind for me are um, actually the main thing, and then two principles outside of it is make work visible. Um, it's really really easy to do with a physical product or a physical business, like a restaurant mm-hmm. or a manufacturing plant, distributor, warehouse, whatever. Um, it's really easy to do that because your product is visible. Um, but in a, in the digital world, it's harder. And so make your work visible in some sort of project management system, anything that you're doing, the results that you're trying to accomplish, put it somewhere so that you can see, okay, are we like, is that actively being worked on or is it not? Don't let it live in your brain. Don't let it live in a sticky note, make it visible. So the whole organization can see it, even if they're not working on it, it needs to be visible. Um, an example of this was another another client of Path for Growth was they have um, an HR department who's kind of doing like recruiting for their company. And then they also have a shipping department who uh, takes care of boxes and stuff like that. And the analogy that they made, which was so good, was if the shipping department had just like stacks the stacks of boxes um, in their inbound in the receiving end of the warehouse, people would walk in and be like, what, what's going on? Like, have you not processed this? What's going on here? It's visible. There's obviously a problem going on Mm -hmm. and their HR team, their recruiting team had like hundreds and hundreds of applications that they haven't processed and it's just been delayed, but it's not visible. And so no one feels the pain point of saying Mm. where, like, is that being processed? And so the big, the big part is that like make your work visible and that could require some sort of investment of, um, financially for, for finding yeah. a system that works for you and your team. Yeah, I mean, labor is... Man, that's a great example. Money. You know, yeah, it costs money to it, to invest in labor. And you might be, if depending on the job, if it's an hourly thing, you might be double scheduling or you might be paying your office workers overtime. I mean, you could definitely spend money to go from lacking organizational right. uh, standardization to all of a sudden creating it. And yeah, there's some tech stuff. Like, I think we use Asana for our project management stuff. And um, I know you recommend Train You All all the time for a way to like document process. Yeah, we use both like of those things. things too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where and we trainals where we document our standards and then Asana is where we execute our standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, it's it I, making your work visible is is something that uh it's critical. Yeah, I would say me and Austin made the mistake of not doing that until maybe what, 6 weeks ago, like it was pretty running gun for the first year. It was a full year of us yeah. I Zach, this will this will just make you cringe, so get ready. I I mean really for for 12 months I think I operated all of our standards so to speak out of an iPhone Apple Note and <laughs> I it was kind of funny because I you know over time you know there are different categories in this note that you know they've got <laughs> they got dates some of them don't have dates some of them have stars by them if you know they're they're blocked or something you know it just turned into this crazy system and I I started to realize that I think I was building an Asana like tool in Apple notes <laughs> that no one but me could use. <laughs> and, you know, Chandler and of course, and, and Chandler and I, you know, we think all the time, how are we scaling our business? How are we making things easy on our easier on ourselves to grow healthful, you know, healthfully mm-hmm. uh, in order to not tank our relationships, our mental stress from, I mean, at least, at least we had it written down. Right. I mean, I remember the point at which I created that little stupid iPhone note system and I remember feeling so free because for the first time That's in right. God knows how long, all of my tasks were at least listed. And so 
that got us through year one somehow. I don't know how, but since then, Asana has literally changed the whole game for us because suddenly, you know, Chandler can jump on and like you said, he now knows how deep my workload is. So he knows if, you know, today would be a good day for a meeting or not. Uh, we don't have to have a 30 minute conversation about workflow or whatever mm. for him to schedule 30 minutes of my time. Um, you know, and, and vice versa. If I have a question or a blocker on a task, it's very easy for me to, to tag Chandler or to tag whoever on my team to, to just talk through the issue. Whereas previously, you know, anything, any context for that task, right. it all lived up here. And so if I need to shop that out, it, it probably would really take 30 minutes for me to type an email that says what I need done instead of, you know, today when you make the ticket, you add the context in the description and boom, you know, anyone can pick that up and run with it. So, wow. I mean, your, your example of making the work visible with the 10X budget kind of by whatever means, because obviously you've got unlimited money there. Uh, I think that's a perfect, a perfect answer. Yeah. I mean, it made such a big difference for us recently that really hits home. Something else you said there uh, made me think we, we had uh, Angie Moss on the show a few weeks back and she is a um, sales coach for Southwestern and she's part of her coaching is really helping people um, that run sales teams learn how to operationally become more efficient. And she said one of the issues people have is delegation and her rule of thumb was that it's going to take you 30 times the amount of time it takes you to do the task to delegate it effectively. And so basically if it's like a 10 minute task, multiply that by 30 and that's how long it's going to take you to actually get that thing off of your plate and, and mm -hmm. providing results the way you wanted those results provided. Now, I think that's a good, I think it's a good model to understand like how hard it is to delegate. I don't know if the numbers really matter about being hard and fast rules, but the thing I think we can combine with these two episodes is if you have a great system, like Zach's mentioning, like written down and documented, and it's already there, you can delegate tasks much easier if they have a system. But if you have to reinvent the wheel every time you delegate the same thing over and over again, just because somebody left your organization, and spoiler alert, they are going to leave your organization. At some point, right. they will leave. I don't care how great your organization is. They will leave. Uh, you're going to have to reinvent the wheel. So you might as well document it once. And then that way, when you have new jobs come up, you just only have to create new systems for the new jobs and not the ones that you've been doing for 10 freaking years, you know? Uh, so that's, that's good. Well, Zach, you'll be proud of us. We have a operational flow here in the podcast. We have a system and we have a standard for excellence. And I will tell you this after every 10 X question comes the high beam marketing ad read. And so that's, what's going to happen right now. So if you are listening to this and you need help with your marketing, look, the recession is here. Everybody's freaking out about it. You're probably drawing down on your advertising budget. And I'm going to tell you that is a terrible Terrible idea. Every client we see right now, their ads are getting cheaper because the volume's going down. It, it, this is the time to double down if you have the financial position to do it. Uh, if you need help with marketing and you don't, you don't do that stuff in-house, go to highbeamarketing.com, fill out the lead form, and, and we'll schedule a discovery call with you and see what your business is all about. And then we're going to look at your operations and your efficiency, like Zach's talking about here, and we're going to see how we can fix that from the marketing angle. So that's what we do. That's what we specialize in. And uh, that's high beam marketing. So Austin, you and I were talking a little bit beforehand and I was telling you about the adventures of Zach living in an RV in a, uh, a field yeah. somewhere, basically trying to build his dream house. And you had a question about that. Well, yeah, you know, I, like we kind of referred to earlier, all three of us have uh, a baby in the house. 
uh, about a year or younger. My, my son turns a year in five days. And so I know just how chaotic that is, even inside of a home that's, you know, in a neighborhood, we've got electrical, <laughs> you know, wiring. We don't have to have special executives from the internet company to get good internet. Uh, so I just want to know, you know, obviously you are, uh, in a C-suite position at a, you know, growing startup, you are a dad, a husband, you know, you got a baby and a wife at home to take care of. How are you managing doing all of that from, you know, the temporary space in the RV or in the barn while you're working? How is that going? Tell me about it. And then I'd love to hear like, if, if you've got like one funny story of kind of how that, you know, during this period of time, I would love to hear that too. Yeah. Uh, it's going well. It's going really well. We're, I mean, it's funny. We joke about living in an RV right now, but there's this, uh, really nice barn, um, that we get to utilize, which is also where our, uh, my in-laws live. And, uh, so it's where my office is. It's where our laundry is. We have a fully, nice. like we have a full bathroom in it. Um, it's, it's super, super nice. It's like the bougie R RV living. Um, our RV okay. is like connected to the sewer, like it, the city sewer. We're we're good to yeah, go. Yeah, you got the whole system set up. Oh yeah, we are we are squared away when it comes to RV life. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's going really really well. You know what's funny is um, as we're working through the process of building a house, um, and we're doing it really without a general contractor. We're kind of doing it on our own. Um, we're working with uh, some, some local builders, a part of Amish communities and, um, oh, different wow. folks like that. And so what's, what's fun is really to kind of think about this as like a capital, um, expenditure project, um, uh, and thinking about like, how are we lining up the supply chain, so to speak, to accomplish this result that we want, which is a house. Um, and so the construction part of things has been fun to dabble into and, think about um just sure. like timelines between vendors and uh lining those things up and setting standards for what we want to be true and what we don't want to be true um it's been an interesting uh yeah, interesting it, project the, so far. the operational mindsets coming out there I, I i don't know that i've heard you know when i talk to people who have built homes i don't know that the operational timeline between you know like the the builders and the vendors and all that i don't know that that's usually people's favorite parts but hey i'm not here to judge you know we're just here to ask questions so um <laughs> we, we hope enjoy. you uh we hope that goes well for you <laughs> i did enjoy zach and i've been friends a long time so we're connected on linkedin and you shared that uh that picture of your your wife's what operational excellence looks like when it comes to cleaning up the kitchen area in there. Yeah. And I think, uh -huh. I think it's a, it's a point to yeah, that to anything that. can be made effective operationally. Right. That's right. Yeah. She just to like double down on that example. Uh, my wife, Taylor was, was just saying like, Hey, I'd really like, I'd really like, um, this outcome in the kitchen she you know she didn't say it like that i'm just translating yeah. into business speak almost but she's like here's what i want the kitchen to look like um at the end of the night before we go to bed you know dishes are put away all dishes are cleaned the counters wiped down um uh you know the the glass on the windows are are wiped clean and and different things like that like but she just bulleted all these things are this is cleaned this is emptied this is set prepared staged whatever and then we can always just look at it. It's not even, it's like a different form of a checklist rather than giving me tasks and actions to complete. I'm looking at that and saying, okay, is that result true? If that result isn't true, how can I, how can I figure out um, how to make it true? Yeah. It seems yeah. like there's a pretty cut and clean 
no pun intended, uh, <laughs> cut and clean list there of kind of, yeah, what, what could be the, the thing that's wrong. So it probably makes it pretty easy on you. I know, Austin, that was definitely pun intended. Uh, I tell you what, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm having questions pop in my head about checklist and the efficiency of flying planes with check. I mean, I could talk to Zach about this operational stuff all day and we might have to bring you back for a part two. We'll definitely bring you back at Thank some you. point and we'll go further that's into this great. because oper- operations, like you said in the beginning is, is a very broad bucket. And so, uh, you could, you could, you could, you could have a PhD in operations, uh, very easily. Oof. So we appreciate everybody listening. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. We will thank see you. you next week. Peace.